Salutations! Welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. This is a Just Some Guy production, and I'm that guy, your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. Today we're going to talk about ideas and flow, the good life, and resources for our spiritual toolbox. So before we ramble, before we blither, before we meander, I'd like to start off with an introductory thought, an introductory piece from Woodrow. So take it away, Woodrow. Woodrow here. I hope you enjoy this moment of mindfulness by Nancy and Randall Faber called Lunar Eclipse. Today, my dad, the hopeful humanist, is going to talk about that socially constructed thing called generations. Before he starts, I would like to share a cautionary, playful thought. Whether or not there is something to this conversation, just remember, boomers, don't put me in a box, okay? Over to you, dad. Yeah, that was fun. I like that. Boomers, don't put me in a box, okay? Yeah, some food for thought there, like... I think we're going to come back to that. So we're going to let it just sit for now. I'm going to percolate. And speaking of percolation, I, I don't have a coffee. I'm not inclined to be a coffee drinker, although I occasionally enjoy a decaf. But I got some chamomile tea. So I'm coming to you from my makeshift studio. I have a shed, a wood shed in the backyard. It's raining. I thought I wanted to kind of be outside and feel the embrace of nature around me. And I'm actually enjoying some chamomile tea, some dried flowers from my very own backyard garden. So that's kind of exciting. So we're going to have a discussion today about generations. What are the things I'm hoping I'm going to accomplish? Well, I'd like to kind of offer some definitions about uh, what a generation is. I'd like to introduce you to the general players in terms of conversations about generations like to share with you a little bit about my fascination, my personal interest with generations, explore some questions that I have, and recognize that there's nothing definitive about this discussion that I'm offering today. There's lots of great stuff out there in terms of generations, great books, great videos on YouTube. Uh, specifically, I, I very much enjoyed The Generations channel on YouTube. And they have some really good information about the various generations from, I think, the lost generation all the way down to Gen Alpha. So I want to go through definitions, explore players, raise these questions, and just kind of talk in general in, in a very haphazard way and see where we arrive. And I think then we'll come back to some of the initial questions that I find myself wondering about in terms of a definition. There are two sources I'm going to refer and then perhaps share a couple of additional thoughts. So I think it would be prudent for me to first share who the general players are in terms of this conversation about generations. That list uh, includes Strauss and Howe. They're two authors from the United States that have written two main 
works that constitute the framework, their framework and understanding of generations. The first one was written in 1991 called Generations, the History of America's Future, 1584 to 2069, William Strauss, Neil Howe. The other person that we might want to give some attention to is Carl Mannheim. He wrote a paper in 1928 called The Problem of Generations, and I believe it was translated into English in, I think, 1952. They both have some definitions of generations that overlap. I think we also have to put on our radar uh, an awareness about this person, Mark McCrindle, who in 2005 coined the term Gen Alpha. He believes that this is the newest generation that uh, goes from 2010 to 2025. I also think uh, I, I want to make special mention of Douglas Coupland. Uh, he wrote a book called Generation X, and I very much enjoyed it. I was very much interested in that book because it arrived at a point in my life where I felt somewhat confused, which, interestingly enough, those who are a part of that generation, the Gen X generation, are considered often to be uh, reckless rascals. So those are the players that we are, we're going to kind of consider. So our definition, what is a generation? And before I offer some thoughts, I just encourage you as, as the listener to take a moment and, and kind of generate for yourself. Take a moment and Think about what your idea of a generation might be. If there's a grandparents uh, with parents and some children sitting in a room and someone will say, you know, if we're going to talk about these things, generations, what, what, what do you think you're witnessing right now? Would you be inclined to say, well, you know, there are three generations present there, you know, the, in, in terms of kinship, there's the grandparents, they're one generation. The parents, there's the second generation, and the children, the third. Or, or would you say, well, I, I'm not sure. Uh, there could be maybe up to six generations in that room. Uh, someone might be uh, from the, the GI generation, you know, the, the, the grandfather, and perhaps the grandmother's from the silent generation. And uh, then, we, then we find ourselves maybe with parents where one is a baby boomer and, and the other is a, a Gen X, and they have kids who are millennials. And so we, we have five generations. So when you think about a generation, what does that mean to you? In terms of Strauss and Howe, a generation is a cohort group whose length approximates the span of a phase of life and whose boundaries are fixed by peer personality. So if you're going to get into a discussion about Strauss and Howe, there's a whole language that is introduced. And I'm not going to attempt to capture all that. I mean, there's ideas about phases of life, youth, rising adulthood, midlife, elderhood. There's the idea of peer personality, a generational persona recognized and determined by one common age location, two common beliefs and behaviors, and three perceived membership, and, and so on and so on. So there's one definition so far that we have. Uh, the other book that they they wrote is called The Fourth Turning, An American Prophecy. So this theory, this framework, this pseudoscience, as some would claim, is 
primarily based on a Western context. Strauss now would say a Anglo-American context. Another definition that has some overlap comes to us from a German sociologist. He wrote a paper, Problem of Generations, 1928. And his definition of a generation, it's a group of individuals who share similar ages, whose membership has experienced a noteworthy historical event. So in terms of academic institutions, I think my understanding is they'd be more inclined to lean towards a Mannheim approach to understanding and exploring generations. For me, when we're talking about generations, I think what we have to, out of the gate, recognize is that it's a social construct. It's the product of an intersubjective agreement between two, uh, two, uh, you know, two or more people who then, because of the discussion, they, they make the declaration via a speech act and say, you know, they, they declare into existence, you know, there are these things called generations and we are going to create spans of time uh, to incorporate and understand uh, these different generational experiences. And these people here are Gen X and these people here are millennials. And look, these uh, new on the scene and, and just arriving into the discussion of generations is Gen Alpha. So that's what we're kind of talking about. It is. It leaves me uh, thinking that there's a lot of vagueness. You know, I, I often wonder about how do we decide. So, for instance, I'm I'm from Gen X, and I do identify as someone from Generation X. That from 1964 to 1980, 1981, 1982, 1984, around there, that that is a generational group and that it has this thing called peer personality, certain characteristics. They've been raised a certain way, uh, raised a certain way, a latchkey generation, a forgotten generation, a rascal generation, uh, high risk takers that got into a whole bunch of mischief in terms of problems with drinking, increase with suicide, etc. Now, what's interesting for me is I do identify as being a Gen Xer, but Canadian. And so the question becomes how generalizable, how relatable is that framework of thinking that is based on the Anglo-American experience? How relevant is it to me as a Canadian? You know, is it situation specific and we should be cautious and not go any further. So we, we have an idea of the players. We have a, a basic general definition with some overlap between Mannheim, Strauss and Howe. I think I'd like to share now a, a quote that kind of captures what both Strauss and Howe and Mannheim are thinking. And I, and I believe it would not be something <clears throat> that would not align with the thinking of McCrindle and um, Copeland, that, uh, and, and I'm taking this from the fourth turning, history shapes generations and generations shape history. And so we're seeing that uh, your context, your social, economic, political context has an impact on uh, you and your cohort, your generation. There could be a defining experience and that it then according to these theories, affects your worldview. And the worldview that you have impacts the way that you engage and interact with the world. And so that's what we're seeing here is this kind of dynamic. Now, I became interested in generations a long time ago 
uh, I mentioned it's kind of connected with my reading of the book by Douglas Kuplin. Generation X Tales for an Accelerated Culture. It just, it just seemed to capture my experience of feeling lost, uh, isolated, uh, disconnected, estranged uh, from the world. That was my initial kind of contact point with, with Generations. And I felt like uh, the book Generation X just helped me feel like I was a part of something. It, it, it played itself out in ways that related to uh, the experience I was having, but then did go on to shape my self-perception as well. Now, move forward a number of years, maybe uh, three decades. And as a father, I find myself really curious about the ways in which I can support my children to have a happy, productive, fruitful, self-actualized, and, and not in like a just me kind of way, but, you know, that includes this idea of self-transcendence and a commitment to community and neighborhood. I, I want to help equip them for a world that is constantly changing. And so I, I was wondering, in terms of generations, can it help us if we have a familiarity with these things called generations? Um, can it help us prepare for the future? Specifically, will it help me help my boys prepare for their future? Some additional questions I've, I've had is, if, th if that's the case, great. Then maybe we can get some ideas about a curriculum for the 21st century for our children and youth so that they can be equipped to live healthy, emotionally, mentally, spiritually fulfilling lives. But if that's not the case, is, is this talking generation, is it just some sort of profiling to market products and services? Is, is, is that the goal? If we can somehow create a description of a group of people, call them a generation, and then we can figure out how to start marketing towards them. My, my last thought is, you know, getting back to how my experience of Gen X, Generation X, by Douglas Couplin. Can it help us know ourselves? Does it foster a sense of belonging? Is it as such orienting? Can it orient me in this world so I can have a sense of where I'm standing? Mannheim introduces this idea, Carl Mannheim introduces this idea called social location. And the, our social location is not necessarily whether I'm in, in Toronto and you're in Vancouver or, you know, you're somewhere in the United States or overseas in England or Australia. These are some of the places that my uh, listenership is coming from. It's about recognizing that regardless of our geography, we're having an experience because of this particular historical period that's shaping us in ways that impacts our worldview. And of course, one of the things that I'm thinking about right now is COVID-19 and its impact on uh, the younger generation the way it's impacting their experience at school, i.e. going to school with masks so they can't see each other's faces. And, you know, in terms of body language and communication, the challenges that propose, uh, um, in terms of the challenges that presents. Also for younger people that are entering the workforce and would be a part of Gen Z, their whole work experience is now shaped in a way that's very different than the way most of us have experienced work. You know, there's much more virtual work, remote work, 
telecommuting work. Working at home is what I'm talking about. And as such, there's this sense of estrangement from your, your organization, from fellow co-workers, and you know, Zoom fatigue, decision fatigue. All of that stuff is an additional challenge for young people as they enter the, the workforce. And so if we explore generations, can it, can it help us navigate some of these new unfolding realities? One of the things that I think is important is that when we're learning things that we become critically reflective and we become aware of cautions, any, any necessary cautions. And so in terms of those questions, can it help us prepare for the future? Is this sort of profiling uh, in terms of marketing products and services? Or can it help us know ourselves? Does it foster a sense of belonging? Can it orient us? What are the cautions? I think the first caution is, you know, in terms of a world where there's power, prejudice, privilege, we don't want to create another category for us to discriminate against one another, right? And I think that that's the, in, in the intro, the, the thought that uh, Woodrow was sharing, you know, boomers, hey boomers, and just remember, you know, in terms of the conversation you're having, don't put me in a box, okay? And, and the irony is, you know, this, this coming from a, a Gen Z young being saying, you know, don't you put me in a box, you know, don't pretend to know that I'm some kind of delicate snowflake that is fragile and going through the world in terms of a, a feeling of entitlement. Younger people at times are lumping in a category, everyone that's older than them, into this idea of, of boomers. So, it, you know, it's, it's going both ways. So the caution is that we don't stereotype people because of their inclusion, perceived inclusion in a socially constructed category called, you know, this specific generation, whether it will be Gen X, Boomer, Gen Z, Gen Alpha. So we want to be cautious about that. And if we're cautious, can there be a way in which exploring some of these ideas and frameworks of thinking about generations that it can help us? And in terms of my fascination about thinking about how to equip my you know, the two young souls, my children, my children that are in my care, I, I did become initially quite fascinated by the ideas from Strauss and Howe because they talk about archetypal types of generations and that there are four of them and they have different constellations, different kind of groupings or layerings on top of one another in terms of these unfolding historical eras that psychically pass they go through you know cycles just like the the seasons and according to this theory you know we have periods uh, where there's a high and things are going well we have these awakenings where there is a an inner drive to actualize oneself and so there's a pushback in terms of um, institutions and then we can go through these unravelings where we find that things are starting to break down the outward institutions and then we arrive in this place called the crisis. Now, according to Strauss and Howe, we are currently in a crisis era right now. And crisis eras has a specific constellational expression. The, the, the archetypal generations manifest themselves in a particular kind of layering in terms of the different roles of life. And so we find in this kind of situation that in 
you know, the elder years, we have the baby boomers, and they are directing our course of action against a particular crisis that we find ourselves in. And underneath we have, in midlife, we have Gen X, and then we also have, under that, the civically-minded generation, the millennials, and then Gen Z underneath, um, referred to as the silent generation. So in terms of archetypes, uh, the uh, baby boomers are referred to as prophets, according to Neil Howe and uh, William Strauss. The Gen X generation is represented by, or a manifestation of, a nomad archetype. They're very reactive. Then we have the millennials that are civic-minded, and they are the hero archetype. And then we have the generation underneath, which would be Gen Z. They are the adaptive generation, and uh, they're often a quiet younger generation. And so they're proposing that, that, you know, we are in an era right now that is a crisis. And that fascinates me, because if that is the case, and if the, the errors cycle in a seasonal way, and we're moving back to a high, well, that means the future is going to look a lot better in, you know, a decade or more. And, and for me, that's exciting as a, as a father. And I found myself getting excited about this, you know, in, in a sense, prophecy. And uh, I had to kind of step back and just reflect. I got so caught up in the ideas of Strauss and Howe that they're suggesting as we move into a high that the, the younger generation that will be entering into the discourse on generations, Gen Alpha, is a prophet generation, much like the baby boomers. That was exciting for me. I was hoping that my Woodrow and Blazing Phoenix might be a part of that generation, that inner awakening generation, the ushering and change. So once again, I had to step back and ask myself, before I, I give too much weight to this thing, right, get, get critically reflective, if, it, if we are in fact in a crisis, if it has this kind of predictive ability, first of all, when talking to people, would they agree we're in a, in a crisis? So I ask you, the listener, like at this point in terms of what's happening in terms of where you live, would, would you feel like you are struggling to stand up to a grand crisis of some sort? And if that's the case, if that's true, there's a part of me that thinks that uh, when, when you conduct surveys, when you talk to people, that people would be able to kind of identify, yes, we are in a crisis, and number two, what the crisis is. And so uh, in terms of my interest and curiosity and fascinations with generations, um, that's, that, that's the question that I, I've, I'm posing right now. What would you say would be the defining events of this crisis era that we might find ourselves in? And according to Strauss and Howe, the crisis era goes until, you know, the... Uh, mid to later 2020s so you know, 2025 2026 2027 for me i do think we're in a crisis here and i think it's a you know around the world people uh, would would possibly be able to relate to the fact that covid19 is a situation that's impacted everyone you know we're talking about a pandemic gabber mate would suggest that we're in a syndemic so it's uh, more than one pandemic occurring at the same time. And, and I would agree with that. I think that our lens, our focus has simply been on COVID-19, but that there are a number of 
crisis events that are taking place right now. And for lack of a better way of describing it, I think it would include stuff like, you know, I've mentioned in the past, this is an age of anxiety. So I think uh, we're experiencing a pretty significant mental health crisis that includes concerns about addiction. There's an opioid crisis that's taking place in Canada and the United States. Many people are dying of overdoses. There is an increase in levels of anxiety and depression. I think that uh, COVID-19 and the quarantining and the lockdowns have catalyzed, sped up the fermenting problems that were already there. And, and we've exponentially gone in a very concerning direction. I would think that uh, we'd have to include in this discussion about crisis events, climate change. We're seeing record temperatures out west in, in British Columbia and cold snaps that you know are never the case in Texas. I think we continue to, you know, in terms of the 80s through the 90s until now, are, are struggling with social conflict uh, in terms of different groups, kind of what people describe as a, a tribalism, culture wars, the, the polarization of groups in, in, to such a degree that we can't even talk with each other one more. We, in terms of uh, trying to in initiate change, we're more likely to take a shame-based approach in, instead of a care-based approach. We're more likely to want to talk versus listen. And a lot of things, I think, are, are being missed out in terms of uh, the difficult conversations that we need to have. So, yeah, I think we're, we're in a crisis era. And as such, when I was kind of excited about uh, thinking that my, my two uh, young beings that, uh, that I've been entrusted with, uh, Woodrow and, and Blazing Phoenix, I was excited about the prospect of them being gen alpha you know because they could be a part of that archetype the prophet archetype and usher in change but uh, if, if we're going to give some playful legitimacy in this moment just to uh, fool around with some ideas in terms of strauss and how if we are in a crisis era because this crisis is something that you know my my children can label and name because they're actually experiencing it, this COVID-19 that's impacted them. You know, they don't go to school. They're learning online. And when they do go to school, they're having mass. I, I would think that uh, they're a part of Gen Z. And, and as such, uh, in terms of um, Mark McCrindle and, and his uh, excitement about preparing the discussion, this ongoing discussion about generations for those of us already in the discussion, his, his excitement about creating a generation named Gen Alpha from 210 to 225. I would have to uh, suggest that he's got his timelines wrong. I would have to suggest that it should be 2014 to maybe 2030, because I think kids that uh, are born before 2014 have had some direct conscious understandings about the way the world is ch changing because of COVID-19. Uh, the impact it's having on our collective mental health, social well-being, or social interactions, the way we communicate. It's obvious and, and, and present for them. And as such, my boys are a part of the Gen Z archetype, the adaptive, an adaptive generation, the artist generation. So my apologies 
I when I mentioned at the beginning that this will definitely be a conversation that is haphazard, blithering, misdirected. I think I nailed the I hit the nail on the head. So before we go any further, why not take a little break? What do you got for us, Woodrow? Here's a song called Cossack Ride by Nancy and Randall Faber. listening Woodrow out okay welcome back to our final segment of this discussion on generations thank you very much Woodrow for that musical moment a chance for us to kind of digest and think about some of the things that uh, I've been sharing in terms of this zigzag conversation in terms of going forward there are a number of different threads but I mean the conversation has to have a concluding point at some points. So it's a matter of choosing and any one of these threads I think are definitely interesting threads. We could talk about possibly the synthesis between Strauss and Howe and Mannheim. We could talk about why does it appear that generations are getting smaller and smaller. We could talk about parenting styles and the impact of different parenting styles on generations. But I think that Every conversation has to include, even if it's a short uh, discussion, um, something about the impact of technology in terms of shaping different generations. Now, I, I just think it's fascinating, though, to recognize how technology is playing a pretty big part in creating experiences, like new experiences of the reality that we find ourselves in that then goes on to shape generations, right? For me, an example I'll give is is music. When I was younger, I would often be listening to the radio. Like, I mean, seriously, do you listen to the radio? <laughs> I often talk to young people like, I don't listen to the radio. And just how the the experience of music has changed and how our physical experience in the world changes because of the things that technology makes possible. So I, when I was younger, I listened to something on the radio. I would be interested in that song. Like, that was a good song. I like that song. Listen to perhaps Q107. And then after listening to it, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, you know, at some point get on the bus and take the bus and go down to downtown King Street. I'm going to go to Sam the Record Man and I'm going to purchase a vinyl album. Perhaps it was the album. I forget the name of the, the album, but by Men at Work. Maybe it was... And it was titled Men at Work, and they had that song, Who Can It Be Now? I really liked that song. It was a song about mental health as well. And I would go get that. I would bring it home. I would put it on my turntable. I'd listen to the, the needle touchdown on the vinyl with all its snap, crackle, pop, visceral realities. Listen to it from, you know, front, from beginning to end on the front and back. And then at a certain point, if I really liked it, I'd make a mixed tape. Wow, right? Music was a journey for me, literally. I, I'd have to you know, leave my home and go on a, a pilgrimage almost 
because music and when I was younger, I used to say it was my religion. And we get that music and I return home and I remember, you know, pulling the album out of its sleeve and it, everything. There was something very precious about that. And now the experience is much different. I think it's much more instantaneous and that just has to change the way younger people experience music. But, you know, now we've arrived at a time where not only can people listen to music and experience music, but we're in a world of creators where people can create music. You can, through beats on GarageBand or different uh, software, you can create your own music and then you could publish it on SoundCloud. That's that's amazing. And that has to that has to have an impact on the way you see the world and you engage with the world. I guess I was back then more of a spectator and you know going on this journey whereas today we have young people that are possibly more creators. And so music is in some sense it almost seems like it's a fundamentally different thing. So I think it's helpful to understand generational differences through the exploration of different topics. What 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 was it like for someone to listen to a vinyl album back in the 80s versus uh, make a playlist over the internet after in, you know becoming aware of a song and instantaneously downloading it to be able to listen to wherever you go and to have like a library of an infinite number of songs versus you know a library of albums uh, that actually take up a, a physical space in your house like that's that's why a discussion on generations is fascinating because it's it's life is going to feel different in terms of the experience we're having and in, in this case i'm talking about how we experience music my hope is that if i continue to explore the discussion about generations that in, in, in a positive way, it, it might be able to give my kids a, a sense of belonging, an identity. It might be able to orient them. But yet, I don't want to have limiting um, thoughts and ideas and notions about who they are because they're part of a cohort, part of a part of a group, a generation. I, you know, in terms of some criticisms, I, I think we have to we have to be aware that. You know, the the timelines are somewhat random. I think uh, some of the discussions with Howe and Strauss and Mannheim, they don't take into account these things called cuspers. You know, my kids, Blazing Phoenix and Woodrow, are straddling a line, more or less. Uh, I see them as being a part of Gen Z. I disagree with the, uh, the timeline um, from McCrindle. 2010 to 2025 for uh, Gen Alpha. I actually think that McCrindle's off by a number of years. It should be 2014 to 2025. I feel like the crisis that we've experienced right now, this syndemic that includes the COVID-19 pandemic, is impacting kids in, in such a way that they're part of a similar generation in terms of the way they're experiencing school. But nonetheless, they're, they're kind of like on the cusp. And you see that with different categorizations of generations where some people will include zennials between gen x and millennials because they're saying there's there's something unique about that period and i guess you know that's interesting because strauss and how basically categorize 
generations according to a 20 to 22 year period. I feel like right now we're seeing that generations are generally being constructed in terms of a 15 year span. And some people would say, you know, we're more likely to overgeneralize and stereotype if we have a larger span of time for a generation and we'll lose the distinct differences and nuances of people if um, we're not grouping in, into smaller generations. And then you have some people saying, well, then, I mean, if every year is a new generation, what can we really say about generations? And I think those are fair criticisms, right? So in terms of some things to consider, uh, some shortcomings, I think, you know, I continue to be fascinated about generations, but I do think we have to be aware of the dis discussion about cuspers, like what do we do with people on cusps? And if, if timelines are somewhat arbitrary, what will be the, the limitations of the ideas or the knowledge we might be gathering about particular generations? So I think uh, I'd like to add to the discussion in terms of what Strauss and Howe and Mannheim have, have offered to the discussion. I'd, I'd like to identify that we might want to include, so um, Strauss and Howe's framework of thinking about generations is called pulse rate because they see this idea that there are archetypes, the prophet archetype, the nomad archetype, the hero archetype, and artist archetype, that these four archetypes over unfolding seasons will rotate through and come back to the beginning again, and that you're, you, you know, you are locked in, in, in a sense. And, uh, they, they do identify that there are outliers, but I think more more thought should be given to that. But to to continue, though, so they, they're considered a pulse rate theory of generations. Mannheim, uh, his theory has been called imprint uh, theory of generations, the idea that there's a historical event, a big event that then impacts a, a generation and that that is the, the, the big idea that we should consider in terms of talking about generations. I'd like to propose, in addition to uh, pulse rate and imprint ideas about generations, that we also include a discussion about self-identification, a theory of self-identification. Some people don't identify with the generation that they're a part of. Some I, I was talking with a, a colleague at one point who is a millennial, uh, ac according to timelines, and uh, declared that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see myself as a millennial. I see myself as possibly more of a zennial or a Gen X a person. Just more feel, I feel there's a better fit with that generation. And, and I've talked with some other people that are, you know, in terms of, you know, being identified as part of Gen Z saying, you know what? No, like that, that doesn't, that doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't capture me. So I, I feel like that is a, a question that we need to not lose sight of in terms of uh, our discussions with people and saying, you know, if you're talking about generations and one of the questions would be, so do you self-identify? Do you self-identify as being a, being a part of that? You know, and someone might say, no, I don't. I absolutely don't. Or I, I do, but I consider myself a cusper. I consider myself kind of on the cusp of um, two uh, different generations. So. In terms of the generations conversation, the thing that I've been thinking about most, and it's hard for me to have this conversation right now, because unless you've read Strauss and Howe, it becomes really difficult to talk about Strauss and Howe, because it's almost as if they've created a whole universe. And in terms of that whole universe, they're suggesting that there are these eras or there's these seasons 
a high season when things are going well, an awakening season when we become more internally focused, an unraveling when the institutions around us start falling, they lose sort of a civic-minded collective, and then we move into a crisis where the old institutions break down, but then there's a rebuilding of new institutions. And then we find ourselves back at the beginning, post-crisis, in a, in a new high. And I have been fascinated by this, if there is anything to be taken from generations. And if Strauss and Howe have something to offer, that there are these repeating seasons in life, and there are these rotating kind of archetypal realities. And if, in fact, uh, we, we accept their premise to be playful and say we are in one of the eras, the era that they would identify we're in right now is a crisis era. So, you know, in terms of being critically reflective and, and suggesting, you know, not only should we be aware of cuspers, not only should we be aware about the arbitrariness of timelines and the socially constructed nature of generations and bring to the discussion an interest and openness to self-identification, if we can get something from the model presented from Howen Strauss, that we are in fact in a crisis here. One of the discussions I'd like to have is uh, I'd like to ask people, first of all, would you agree with that? As a listener, do you think as you look around in terms of your immediate world, the world that you find yourself in, is there is there an unfolding crisis? Well, you know, I think many of us would say, yeah, well, of course there's a pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. Others, uh, like Gabor Mate, would suggest that we're in a syndemic, and this includes uh, a mental health crisis, the a age of anxiety. You know, we're, we're in a place where there are increased rates of anxiety and depression. There's an opioid crisis in North America. People are dying because of fentanyl. So I think people would agree, yeah, you know, there is a crisis, but the question would be, are we in a crisis era? Like, uh, is, is our existence right now kind of centered around, is it orbiting around a big nucleus mess of crisis events? The proposal by Strauss and Howe would be, yes, that is the case. And for me, what I find interesting, if we're going to get critically reflective, is to ask the question, well, then will people agree with that? And if they do agree with it, what would people say is, in fact, the constellations of crises that we find ourselves struggling with? So I, I pose that question now. What crises do you think you're up against? I, I would like to say that I think that we are in a syndemic. I would agree with Gabor Mate that not only are we up against the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, but uh, there is a mental health crisis going on right now. It relates to anxiety. It relates to depression. It relates to addiction. I'd also have to suggest that we're up against climate change. We're having these drastic environmental upheavals and changes that are really compromising the world that we live in. We're having record temperatures in British Columbia and cold fronts that have not been recorded before in Texas. I think that there's an increase in social conflict, what we might call problems with tribalism and culture wars. Uh, there's polarization, even with the pandemic, with people. Um, there, there are no conversations happening right now. There's just people taking sides. You know, either you're pro-vaccine or you're an anti-vaccine. And, and people aren't sitting down and trying to become just more aware of why people think and are of the opinion, the thinking that they are. There's no willingness to take turns listening and talking with one another. We're, we're, we're ill-equipped to have 
difficult conversations. There is a great othering going on right now. We other each other all the time. And it's it's frightening for me as a parent, thinking about what, what the world's going to look like. So I would agree that uh, we are, in fact, experiencing a crisis. That's, you know, it's disturbing. It's overwhelming. But, I mean, to follow through with uh, Strauss and Howe's idea, it seems like at some point, if all the different archetypal types of generations, the prophet, the nomad, the hero, the artist, if we all use our strengths to the best of our ability and we leverage those particular strengths that are aligned with our particular peer personalities, as uh, Strauss and Howe would say, we're going to get through this. And so that leaves me hopeful. It leaves me hopeful. And uh, I, I really do have a lot of faith in the younger generations. I don't find myself inclined to think that these younger, entitled, snowflake generations um, are not equipped to stand up to the future that's coming to them. And I think if we, as the uh, caring, loving adults in this world, use our strengths wisely, we're going to make sure that we create a 21st century curriculum that's going to help young people develop the skills and competencies that they need to get through this very difficult period that we're in. Yeah, thinking about generations and gentle critique, I think you know, that's where a lot of my mind's eye has been directed lately. And I'm hopeful that if we are mindful of the cautions about stereotyping, and if we can notice patterns, and if becoming aware of our challenges and difficulties, but we can also leverage our strengths in a constellation kind of fashion where every generation is maximizing to their potential, the strengths that they have, that that collectively we're going to get to a better place. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. So I think we're, we're, we're kind of full circle and we're back to uh, the beginning of this discussion where I just remind you that. My goal is, if interested, you check out the uh, library of resources that are offered in my show notes that you continue to reflect on some of the questions I initially posed. Can can it help us to prepare for the future if we're aware of or participate in this conversation about generations? Or perhaps we maybe we should go in a different direction because it, maybe really what's happening is this sort of profiling is taking place to market products and services to certain generational characteristics or could it be helpful for us to know about ourselves establish a sense of belonging and to orient ourselves in this constantly changing world at this point coming full circle i think i should acknowledge that this conversation has been unfolding for over 45 minutes for me it's a fascinating exciting conversation i know that it's something that in my personal discussions I'll definitely be coming back to again and again and again. But I think uh, in terms of this particular episode, uh, we should let things stand as they are. And I'll leave with the question I've, I've posed before. What have I missed? What have we missed? What are some other really important questions we might want to ask in terms of this discussion about generations. So with that, until our next meeting of minds, 
I hope you enjoyed this tip of the iceberg conversation. Peace, take care, be well, and share.